Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 55 of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Brian Carroll, and today's episode is brought to you by our latest blog post all about ways to protect your health from wildfire smoke. You may be wondering why we wrote this post, and it's because right now up here in Washington, we are completely socked in by wildfire smoke. And this is now the second summer in a row where August is so bad outside that we are recommended not to step outside of the buildings. And it seems to be getting worse and worse each and every year. Um, last year, it was a lot of our own wildfires that was causing uh, a lot of the smoke issues. And this year, it's British Columbia and California and our own fires. And I believe Idaho and Oregon also that's contributing contributing to this massive smoke cloud that we have. So because of all the smoke that we've been having, a lot of people are suffering from headaches, um, irritated eyes, throat issues, respiratory issues, and a whole lot of different issues. And so we decided to step up and write a post about different ways that you can protect your health through natural methods and more technological methods that we have available to us today. So if you are in an area that is completely smoked out right now, uh, you might want to go over and take a look at this post, and you can find it at summitforwellness.com slash smoke. Okay, in this episode, we have a very, very awesome guest joining us today, Dr. Harvey Fishman, who is an ophthalmologist and a researcher, and he's actually been studying a lot on the ocular microbiome. So this is... Uh, one of our first episodes in a series of microbiome episodes that we have coming out. And instead of talking about the gut microbiome, which we hear a lot about, we are actually going to be talking about the microbiome of the eye and some other parts of the body. So it's super interesting uh, because I never would have thought that there would have been a microbiome of the eye that we should be looking at. And so it's really neat to see that there's people that's looking into these different uh, areas of the body to see what our body needs in order to protect itself from um, external uh, pathogens and to protect itself from the inside out. So let's dive right into my conversation with Dr. Harvey Fishman. Dr. Fishman received his undergraduate degree in chemistry with an emphasis in neuroscience. He then earned his PhD from the Department of Chemistry at Stanford, where he worked in the area of lasers, microfluidics, and neuroscience. He also earned his MD from the Stanford Medical School. Dr. Fishman started his own op ophthalmology practice in Palo Alto, where he continues to lead advancements in ocular surface disease and novel diagnostics for dry eye, cancer detection, and the ocular microbiome. Thank you, Dr. Fishman, for coming onto the show. Thank you, Brian. This is wonderful to be here. 
Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to have you here because as I mentioned to you before the call, there's really no one talking about the ocular microbiome right now. So I'm super excited to dive into that. But before we get to that point, I, I would love to dive into your background a little bit and just figure out where you came from and how you ended up getting so interested in ocular health. Long and twisted background to get me to where I am now. But the reality... <laughs> But the reality is I started off in the world as a PhD in chemistry, where I worked in a, uh, at Stanford, and we worked in a microfluidics lab, which means we tried to measure very, very small molecules um, in small environments. We were looking at synapses and looking at neurotransmitters and so forth, and it got me into optics and neuroscience. And then uh, because uh, that was such an interesting area, I then at the end of my PhD, went to Stanford Medical School and got into, um, obviously, how to take those technologies and different techniques and see if I could apply that into the medical world. And I ended up going into ophthalmology, uh, the study of the eyes and so forth, because of my interest in optics and chemistry and neuroscience. And so obviously, my interest in ocular health comes from the fact that I uh, went to medical school and then I became an ophthalmologist. So Many years later, lots of slogging through lots of education, and I got into, uh, I also trained at Stanford, uh, not only Stanford Medical School for my, my MD, but I went into the ophthalmology program there, and I did, um, you know, full ophthalmology training, where, so now I am uh, full, you know, practicing ophthalmologist with my own private practice office, and I'm sort of reaching back into my research uh, background to take and study new things in the eye and the ocular microbiome and the ocular health is something that I'm very excited about. Can you talk a little bit about some of the projects that you've done like with ocular health, especially going back to some of the, the stuff that you did with artificial retina prosthesis project that you worked on? That was really neat. Thanks for asking. I, when I was uh, started at Stanford, I ran and basically, uh, initiated the Stanford Retinal Ocular Prosthesis Project. And so that was a project that the goal was to see if we could develop an electrode or a neurotransmitter eluding device that could actually sit in your retina and take signals from an external camera and then stimulate your retina uh, like what you get from the real world in a, in a camera image. And the idea was that for people, in particular macular degeneration or other neurodegenerative diseases, such as retinitis pigmentosa, um, or even um, other uh, damaging areas to the retina, you could basically bypass damaged areas of the retina and then tap right into the electrical signals that give you images in your brain using this camera system, which was connected to a sophisticated in the case that I worked on, uh, a microfluidic array of uh, neurotransmitters that would stimulate the retina um, in a way that was very similar to how your normal retina would be stimulated. So that was some of the interesting stuff we did on that. We also worked on retinal transplants using stem cells, uh, which 18 years later is finally coming to fruition. And some of the work that we did um, is now starting to be adopted by other groups around the world. And we're, we're seeing some really phenomenal uh, advances in basically, again, macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, and other diseases of the retina, where the retina is damaged and you can actually put stem cells and actually uh, in very controlled trials 
and replace damaged areas of the retina. So that's really neat stuff that we worked on. And uh, now we're starting to see commercial applications of that. So when you're working on those different types of projects, whether it's a stem cell or a prosthesis, do you have to do the same procedure on both eyes or are you able to just do it on one eye? Oh, you're definitely able to do it on one eye. In fact, it's preferable to do it on one eye because some of these procedures obviously have higher risks um, and you wouldn't want to do it on both eyes. So um, that's generally how, how it's done. Um, and once the technique becomes you know, more advanced uh, and well worked out, then obviously both eyes would be done. Awesome. Yeah, you're doing a lot of neat stuff in this field. It's exciting to see. And one of the other neat things that you're working on right now is a actual the ocular microbiome. So we've heard of the gut microbiome, but we don't hear about the microbiome of the eyes very often. So can you talk to us what is ocular microbiome and uh, what do we know about it so far? It's a great question. Uh, the ocular microbiome uh, has been studied for years. Uh, we primarily started studying the uh, what bacteria lives on the eye, and we did that uh, because we were interested in what bacteria causes infection after ocular surgery, which is sort of where this came about. So when we do cataract surgery or retinal surgery, we are um, always doing usually a preoperative antibi using antibiotics to lower the bacterial load to prevent bacteria from uh, getting into the eye during surgery or, or shortly thereafter. And so a lot of the work was done using um, just culturing techniques. Uh, and so those techniques are limited because some bacteria are very difficult to culture and others are in such low levels that you, you can't actually detect them. And so what's, and that was, you know, some techno that was sort of 10, 15, 20 years ago. Now in the last, you know, 10 or so years, we've become much more sophisticated with DNA uh, array and uh, in particular Illumina, which is a, a cellular uh, a cell uh, array where you can actually sequence not the you don't uh, you don't culture the bacteria, but you actually you sequence the genetics, the bacterial genetics. And there's a technique uh, which is known as 16S uh, ribosomal DNA sequencing, and using this quantification method, you can actually very accurately detect very small amounts of, of bacteria uh, anywhere, and that's actually what they use in, in gut uh, analysis. And obviously in the eye, it's even more important because what we found, at least in the eye, is that we have a much smaller number of bacteria than uh, or is in the gut. In fact, even compared to the skin, there's almost 100 to 250-fold uh, less density in, uh, of the um, skin, excuse me, the eye versus the skin, and the skin is even uh, lower than what you have in the gut. So that what we found is that the bacteria in the eye is a, a very small number, it's just pure numbers. But what's interesting is that the diversity of the bacteria in the eye is tremendous. We can see anywhere between 250 to 2,000 different species, which uh, is very similar to the, some of the diversity that you see in the gut. It's just that we, it's a very small number. Now, the other thing that's really fascinating about the eye is there's actually, it's actually difficult uh, to, to actually determine whether there's a core microbiome like there is in the gut. We know that the ocular microbiome, we, we think it exists, and it, it's still somewhat controversial because it's such a low number of, of bacteria and detecting 
and detection techniques are difficult. But what, what we've done, uh, what others have done in, 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 this, in this area is to look and use actually statistical methods to be able to take the bacteria that just sort of comes and goes in, in and around the eye and eliminate that bacteria as sort of a, um, as, as, as noise, so to speak, in the actual detection. And then we have been able to find a core, that there is likely a core bacteria microbiome that uh, is colonized in everybody's eyes. And it's different, uh, obviously, for different people. So even though the, the numbers of the microbiome is less in the eye, um, have you been able to correlate whether the ratios are similar to what we see in the gut? Well, the, the, the rate, the, the bacteria that's in the eye is very, very different than that, than that which is in the gut. Um, as you can imagine, the bacteria in the eye actually is closer to that which is on the skin um, for obvious reasons because we have we're, our eye and the, the tear film in our eye is, is touching it up against the, you know, the skin uh, surface uh, of your eyelid, so to speak. And because of that, there's a lot of overlap between skin and eye. And actually still, there's differences even with the eye and the skin. So the ratios are very, very different. Um, and the types of bacteria that are in the eye are very different than that, that which is in the gut. So is the, the microbiome of the eye, is that more external uh, than internal? Or can it also be found inside of the eye? It's, it's primarily external. Um, they're, really, the inside of the eye is essentially sterile. Uh, and, you know, there, I guess there probably are some, um, there may be very low levels inside the eye in certain infections, uh, but primarily we have a, essentially a sterile environment inside the eye. And, and when you do get a bacteria in the eye, uh, the, cons the, the consequences can actually be devastating. You can lose vision very quickly. So, so I mean, it's a great, actually, it's an interesting question that, with, that whether there is very low levels. But at this point, we really don't think there's bacteria inside the eye itself. It's really on the surface, uh, on the conjunctiva, on the tear film, or on the surface of the conjunctiva, on the surface uh, in the tear film, in and around the lashes, on the skin that touches the eye. So that's really where much of the bacteria lives. So earlier you had mentioned that uh, after certain procedures and people would use um, antibiotic drops of some sort in order to uh, help the area from getting infected. If what we've seen in other microbiome areas within inside the body, if someone takes an internal antibiotic, then it can disrupt the microbiome throughout the body. Do you notice uh, an internal antibiotic causing any issues with the ocular microbiome, or has that not really been studied yet? Well, it's a, it's a super great question, and, and there have been studies uh, looking at that, and, and there's some animal studies, actually, where they did look at giving um, animals uh, basically oral antibiotics, and then they looked at and determined whether if they infected the the eyes of these uh, animals, whether or not uh, they were more susceptible to getting, for instance, a, a corneal infection. And in fact, that is what they found. They found that when they did that, when they, when they, by changing the, 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 or by, by essentially, you know, giving the animal or, oral antibiotics, it did actually cause a higher rate of, 
of, um, of bet are more susceptibility towards keratitis and corneal infections. So that was one example. It, but in humans, there, this, this has not been looked at um, extensively or at least studied extensively. Uh, and so it's still kind of a big question. But we do know, um, we do know that there, and this is not, I mean, we do know that there's a huge connection between um, the microbiome of the, of the gut and eye disease, and that is actually well known. Um, and there's a whole host of literature on that. There's some beautiful work that's being be, being done right now on, on that on that area. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Can you talk about some um, some diseases or issues with the eyes that can be directly correlated to what's going on at the gut? Absolutely. Uh, for years, and even when I trained, you know, 20 years ago. We knew that people who have uh, ulcerative colitis and uh, Crohn's disease uh, ha can have a, a much more higher rate of uveitis, which is iritis, which is inflammation inside the eye. And so we've known this connection for years. And it's always interesting when we see uveitis and then we ask the patient, uh, about GI symptoms, and they said, you know, maybe they're, you know, maybe they've had some blood in their stools or so and so forth. And then we send them the GI, and they have, you know, ulcerative colitis or Crohn's, and the GI specialist is scratching their head, saying, "How did you know that?" And it's just a well-known fact, and we know that there's a tremendous uh, connection between the gut and all sorts of different types of uveitis, inflammation uh, in the eye, um, and so, and that's actually an area that's being actively studied. Um, at, at different labs around the country. Uh, we also know uh, in my own work, what I'm particularly interested in is the biome of the gut and dry eye disease. And we know that with uh, respect to uh, omega-3s uh, consumption, we know that dry eye seems to improve. There was a recent paper which was kind of a little bit, a little bit of controversy in that area. But in my experience, omega-3 has been uh, supplementation, oral supplementation has been uh, one of the, is one of the uh, premier ways that I actually treat dry eye disease. I mean, obviously that's, that's sort of the, or I should say that's the, the first line treatment for me. And we have found that, um, and then if you look at other studies with respect to omega-3, it's, it's very likely that you're enriching certain bacteria in the gut with your omega-3s. Maybe it's a prebiome and so forth. Um, and as a result, that changes the inflammation around in, or in and around the eye, which is very much related to dry eye disease. So that's a very long answer, but the, there's a, a big connection. And that's really what my interest has been in both looking at the ocular microbiome as well as connections between the biome and basic diseases like dry eye disease and so forth. Yeah, and it makes sense when you start making that connection between the gut and the eyes because you need to be able to break down nutrients in order to create the secretions for the eye. So if you're not able to uh, get those nutrients from the food that you have, then it makes sense to me at least that you would be um, drying out the eyes. So that's that's neat that um, people in your, your field are able to make those connections between the eye and um, autoimmune issues and other gut issues and it kind of makes me wonder why it took people so long to, like in the functional medicine world, to start putting these pieces together, that it's all one system. And you got to be able to uh, put the puzzle pieces together and figure out what's going on. That's absolutely right. And it's funny how 
Well, in particular, medicine, you know, doctors who are more of the Western medicine, they, they, we don't necessarily get a tremendous amount of training in this area. We're very limited in, a, in our understanding of nutrition and so forth. And um, if you talk to most, I mean, I, as an ophthalmologist, we see a tremendous amount of immune disease. I mean, it's remarkable how much overlap there is, obviously, with the immune system and ophthalmology. And many of my patients um, who come to me, we kind of, in some respect, get into some other areas of, of conversation and we talk about how, what, how they have been dealing with their immune disease, their you know, GI disease or autoimmune disease. And often, you know, it, it's, it's very different than what their rheumatologist or what their doctor who's more Western medicine trained will, will be uh, having them do. And they find, a, and, and what really got me interested in this is that there's such a huge number of my patients that are finding big success with more of a functional medicine and a diet-related treatment for autoimmune disease. And, and that, is, that, that is not necessarily cutting off you know, some of the stuff that we talk about in, in, in rheumatology and in Western medicine, but it's more of a supplement. I mean, if you're on an immune modulatory, you know, drug, if you can lower that dose by going on an, an anti or an, an autoimmune or anti-inflammatory diet, like why not do that? Right, exactly. Why be stuck taking the medication if there's other ways that you're able to reduce inflammation in your body? Um for sure. So let's go back to the ocular microbiome a little bit. Yes, please. Um, is there uh, certain symptoms that you have seen that can correlate directly to an unbalanced ocular microbiome, or is it still kind of too early to be able to put those pieces together? That That is, I think we're very early in that and putting those, I mean, it's a great question and there's a lot of speculation that that is in fact the case. Uh, but right now, there really is there aren't too many studies, if any, if any at all, making that link. I mean, one of the things that 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 we are so excited about is there's a number of really unclear or, un, or you know diseases that are have unclear etiology. We have no idea why it happens. Like, uh, and these are some surface ocular disorders. Like, for instance, there's this condition called episcleritis, uh, which is sort of this you know, black box autoimmune thing that occurs on on the surface of your conjunctiva or just below the surface, then we have different types of conjunctivitis, even pterygium um, and uh, other diseases of the cornea like Tigesen's disease. These are all essentially idiopathic. I mean, we have no idea what they're from. And so that's where a lot of the interest is in trying to understand if a dysbiosis or a, 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 a disequilibrium of the, mi the microbiome of your ocular microbiome is the is the cause of those of those things, because you can really immediately uh, figure that that would be the case. What's interesting, at least in dry eye disease, is that um, some of the work that's been done, is, uh, in particular in Sjogren's disease, they have found. Uh, that there's an inverse correlation to microbial di biodiversity in the gut and and the uh, and the disease state in the eye. So that that patients with more di diversity in their gut have have lower their uh, you know lower numbers of patients with Sjogren's disease have um, you know have this 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 correlation with uh, with. Um, a large diversity in the gut. And so what's interesting is 
Um, there have been some, some very small studies, some number, small numbers of patients where they have looked at the ocular microbiome. And interestingly enough, they, they, they did not observe significant differences uh, either in the composition, richness, or structure of the microbiome between patients who, for instance, had dry eye disease from Sjogren's versus normals versus, uh, you know, blepharitis or styes. And so, um, but again, the, uh, it's a very tricky measurement. One of the things that's fascinating about the eye is we have this thing called the blink. And every time you blink, you really change, you can dramatically change how, what's on the surface of the eye. And what we found, at least in the ocular microbiome, is that bacteria come and go. Uh, on any one day, uh, you could take a patient and you could uh, measure their ocular, the, the, you could do a 16SR DNA sequencing of, their, of the bacteria on their eye, and you might find very different bacteria uh, one day versus another. And so that's part of the tricky aspect of this because the core microbiome requires a, um, a much more sophisticated and lower level um, detection methods. And actually, and that's, I mean, not to make, sort of a, as a, as a side note, that's sort of my interest, which is that I, my background is in looking at microenvironments. And so one of the biggest problems is that we don't have good techniques for, for measuring the microenvironment of the eye, not only the number of bacteria, but also individual areas. I mean, when you measure the eye, I mean, where are you measuring it from? You're measuring the tears that are next to the lid. Are you measuring on the cornea? Are you measuring on the conjunctiva? So you can see that the complexity of these measurements are just very profound. And before you can even start really thinking about how to make correlations like what you suggested, you really have to have better techniques of being able to measure it. And actually, that's one of my strong points, and at least in the research I'm doing, is we are looking at micro measurements on the eye uh, to be able to figure these, to figure out, to, to be able to make these correlations. Yeah, that was actually what I was going to ask you is, do you notice if there's a difference between the the microbiome of the eye, the surface of the eyeball, or um, compared to what's on the eyelid? So that I, I like the way that you're thinking where you have to figure out all these um, micro measurements to be able to measure all these different spots. So that's... Th that's interesting that you are going that direction and trying to figure out if there's a difference. Um, now, since we are talking about, uh, you know, eyelids and different parts of that region could have different bacteria, what do you think about when people put, you know, makeup or fake eyelashes or something like that around their eye? Well, we're beginning to understand how devastating, and I really hate to even say this, you know, but a lot of the fake eyelashes, uh, chemicals, and 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 uh, makeup that we use on the eye, uh, really does affect and really causes a lot of problems. Not only of inflammation of the glands, which uh, secrete oils onto the eye, but actually increase not only the bacterial. And we don't know exactly whether you know. Basically, you increase the bacterial load in and around the eye by by harbor by basically having just wonderful culture media. So you're basically you know the mascara and these other things that are on the eyelashes form basically great culture dishes for bacteria and actually parasites as well. We Demodex is a one of the parasites um, that lives in and around our skin and the eyelashes and the follicles. And when you have this sort of 
uh, back, you know, fake eyelashes and, you know, lots of stuff on your eyelash or lots of debris on your eyelashes. It provides terrific uh, breeding ground for these sorts of things. One of the things that I do in my office, I'm one of the few people that, that does this. And I, I have kind of a fun practice because I have a lot of time to spend with my patients. And so one of the things that I actually do is I will... Uh, in addition to this sequencing work that, you know, genetic sequencing that we're working on, I'm also doing some just basic, you know, old fashioned pluck the eyelash and then look at it under the microscope. Because one of the things that we see is we see in some patients very high levels of Demodex. Now, Demodex is this parasite that, that um, has been linked uh, to rosacea, ocular rosacea and skin diseases and facial rosacea. And there's actually a very interesting correlation that some people have linked between SIBO, which is small intestinal bowel overgrowth, which may, you may have talked about in your podcast and other uh, doctors. But we know that, when, that there's, there seems to be a link between SIBO and rosacea. And we know that styes and blepharitis and ocular rosacea and dry disease is related to that uh, facial connection so you know there's this obvious question of what and, and we know that actually that the parasites eat the bacteria and then actually either die and and release the bacteria onto your lids and your eyes or they puke up the bacteria to use a, a rather crude uh, uh, description and then this causes uh, some massive inflammation on the eyelashes and the eye so it's a really interesting uh, you know connection between these different uh, these different uh, modalities of bacteria, lashes, external features, and so forth. And um, so, so to get back to it, you asked is that, yes, we, we're, we're very concerned about not only the amount of uh, mass, you know, makeup that we put on the eyelashes, but some of the uh, chemicals that are in these, um, these uh, makeups like parabens and formaldehydes and so forth. And those seem to be very devastating to the eyelashes and the eyelids itself. So that's a very long answer to what your question was. <laughs> but I'm very passionate. We, we are really uh, concerned about this. And we're trying to, uh, there are some people who are trying to develop, you know, basically makeup that doesn't contain these toxic uh, chemicals. Uh, but I will give you one little anecdote. When I was a resident, uh, or excuse me, when I was an intern, uh, and before I went into ophthalmology, we, we did a lot of, you know, you have to do your internship in every area of medicine. I was doing a pulmonary medicine um, internship and I guess our, our rotation and the, and the pulmonologist was giving us an this description of how he was telling a patient that, you know, if you don't get rid of your pet, you know, you're not going to be able to breathe. It's causing you allergies. And the, and the, the answer was that the patient gets rid of the doctor. They don't get rid of the. So if I start telling people they, <laughs> yeah, right. So if I start telling patients, you know, you got to stop wearing makeup, I'm not going to have any patients anymore. And rightfully so. <laughs> but that is kind of the uh, interest. Uh, but, but it's a very complex thing. I think making makeups that have the correct uh, sorts of um, uh, co constituents is, is probably a better solution or is the solution. So you had mentioned that you have a lot of time that you spend with your patients and then you went into where you'll pluck um, an eyelash and then you'll take a look at the eyelash. Are you showing your patients what's on their eyelash? Oh yeah, that's the that's actually a lot of fun uh, and terrifying <laughs> at the same time for them. I mean, I, I try to couch it by saying, look, you know, everybody has Demodex. Uh, and so, you know, one of the questions is with patients who have bad styes and bad 
chronic conjunctivitis, do they have an overabundance of Demodex on their eyelashes? And so what I did is I have a microscope, uh, which I purchased, which has a video camera connected to it. And I connect it to my computer. I, I, I extract, I do a lens, uh, an eyelashectomy. I take out a single eyelash. <laughs> I apply it to the slide. I put it on the screen. I show the patient and one of three things happen. I get a, 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 either it, I, I'm happy to tell them it looks good or then I actually, you could actually see the parasite with its little philo, not really philopodia, but these like little things that uh, are actually moving. And so you can see this disgusting moving organism on, which is from their own eyelash. And it just, it just horrifies people. So pretty much at that stage, I have a lot of uh, influence on uh, giving them a treatment. Oh, I love it. That's that's such a great way to teach people. That's that's hilarious. I love that approach. Yeah, and it's and it's and very few people do it. It's it, and it's not that difficult to do, and I really enjoy it. But that's the kind of stuff I do in my office. I have all sorts of cool toys and great in, devices that helps me uh, look at like every aspect, not only of dry eye disease, which I do a lot of, but also all sorts of different diseases. We have devices to look at the microvasculature of the retina. I can look at different aspects of the cornea, but that's really the power of, of, of the, sort of what we do in our, in my practice, which is we have a lot of time that allows uh, us to really unpack eye disease and, and then do it in a way that, you know, really, and then I have time to teach the pe people about what to do. And we work a lot with, you know, those, those modalities. Yeah, those are great learning opportunities. That's that's awesome. Um, so since we're talking about the microbiome, uh, we know that uh, in a lot of cases we can start to repopulate um, dysfunctional microbiomes in the body by using probiotics. It could be for the gut. It could be for uh, the genitalia regions. Can you do that same approach for the eye? Like, is there probiotic drops or something like that that you could use? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> you know, there is one study, I mean, and so in the entire literature of ophthalmology, and I've gone through a lot of it, I've only found one study where they looked at using a probiotic they didn't treat back. It wasn't an it wasn't a bacterial infection. It was a um, it was sort of an inf I think it was an allergic. Um, I think it was an allergic condition that the, that they looked at, and um, it may have been vernal conjunctivitis. But I have to remind, my, I have to look into it again. But basically, what they looked at is they did find that using a probiotic, they were able to get the same results as. Uh, um, you know, other modal, more conventional modalities. And then of course that, you know, gets us into the question, should we be treating, uh, you know, can we basically, instead of treating an, an, you know, an eye infection with an antibiotic, can we use a probiotic or a, bi a bio, you know, a bacteria that, that outcompetes the bad one? And that's, you know, the classic question that we look, you know, that would be interesting to look at. Um, it's a little bit of a tricky one in terms of doing the clinical trial, and the reason being is that um, you know it, it, you you know it, you can really have severe, devastating visual consequences if you don't do it right. So if you're looking at a head-to-head -head on a corneal ulcer, for instance, and you start treating with a probiotic or a, you know you know and it doesn't work, then that person could conceivably go blind. So the so the risk is really so it's a it's a tricky clinical trial that you and I'm not even sure that you can do it in any sort of you know way that would make that would be ethical. Um, but you know we do know that and and we do know like and I have like a like 
so many patients who have autoimmune disease, in particular GI disease. And we, I do know that through diet uh, and using, and, and many of them do are on heavy probiotics. They they do are they are able to reduce inflammation in their eye through through a, sort of an anti-inflammatory uh, diet combined with probiotics. So that's interesting for me, and that's one of my super big interests. So. The answer is that, you know, I think that's an obvious way that we would hope we can get to. Uh, we're just not there yet. Awesome. And then I have a couple of questions left here. Um, you mentioned earlier that you like omega-3s, especially for dry eyes. So what are some of your other favorite foods to improve eye health, just in general? That's such a great question because, uh, we, you know, there's so many ways that you can treat disease but why can't we prevent the eye disease in the first place? I mean, you know, what a novel concept, right? Uh, and so it really depends on the type of disease. And, but like, so to give you an example, one of the best, absolute best things that you can eat for your eyes is spinach, spinach and kale, deep green, deep green leafy vegetables. And those are contain high levels of lutein and zeaxanthin, which are antioxidants. And these are molecules that are, and pigment that are, enable us to, uh, it seems to stave off things like uh, macular degeneration. Um, other things that we found, and this is all clinically, these are all papers that have come out probably in the last two or three years where, where they are looking at, they really are taking a bigger look at your, your nutrition and ocular health. And there was a recent paper that showed that eating oranges seems to be uh, a very helpful and effective in, in help in, in preventing the onset of patients with, with, with wet macular degeneration. And then of course, as, I, as you alluded to, um, when, it comes to dry, when it comes to dry eyes, my own um, ex personal experience and, 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 and many publications have shown that the you know, increasing omega-3 in your diet uh, is really helpful through salmon and other sorts of um, uh, food sources such as that. Um, and then the other thing that's interesting is that uh, in glaucoma, we find that uh, or foods that produce nitrates or nitric oxide, I should say. So nitric oxide producing foods that when you eat it produces nitric oxide in the cells is a natural vasodilator. And that seems to be important for improved ocular blood flow, not only out of the trabecular meshwork for in glaucoma, but also of the optic nerve and things like beets. And again, veg vegetables that are contained high in, 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 nit in nitrates uh, seem to be very important along those areas. So it's very interesting if you think about it, um, where we're moving in, in ophthalmology. Where, and ophthalmologists have been pretty progressive and pretty uh, innovative in terms of uh, combining not only West hardcore Western medicine with nutritional health. In fact, you could say that the, you know, the age-related eye disease study for macular degeneration is if one of the biggest, if not the biggest, ocular health studies for nutritional ocular health study uh, or uh, nutritional medical study uh, in the history of the world. And it's been going on for many years now with numerous publications showing the uh, that you can reduce macular degeneration with basically spinach pills, or as I like to call it, the ARIDS formula, the, you know, the ARIDS2, uh, lutein, zeaxanthin, copper and zinc, and a few other choice uh, supplements. So um, that's quite a mouthful, but, we, but there's a lot you can do to, to improve your ocular health through your, through your diet. Awesome. And then the final question here, if you have a morning routine to take, a, ter, take care of your own eye health, what is it? The 
thing that you should be doing in the morning really consists of lid hygiene. I mean, that's one of the biggies because as we age, we get more debris on our lids. Overnight, you may uh, tear up and those tears evaporate and then you get, for lack of a better term, schmutz. That's the technical term. Um, but, uh, you can, but you do get debris and you get you know, little oils and so forth that build up on the lashes. And so it, for ocular, for the morning routine, it's really helpful in, when you're in the shower to take a little uh, very safe, uh, you know, no tears, baby shampoo or of some sort and kind of scrub your eyelashes and just put it, make it part of your, your, your morning routine by improving your, your eyelash health. That's going to do a lot to uh, improve the uh, overall ocular health. And then, um, you know, the other thing is that one of the things that we're working on is also blinking. And there's a lot of work actually on, on people who have really poor blinks. And one of the things you can do is, um, um, you can, you can work on sort of blinking exercises. And finally, the third thing is a, a warm compress, a warm compress on your eyelid actually can improve the, the, uh, oil flow from your, from your eyelids. And it actually reduces the friction and it's very wonderful for, 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 again, this is more for dry eye disease. Awesome. Dr. Fishman, is there anything that you want to uh, make sure that we know about eye health or the ocular microbiome before we close up here? I think that it's an extremely important area. It's it's definitely one of the up and coming areas to potentially not only treat dry eye disease, but it may be the key to lots of diseases uh, in addition to uh, just basic autoimmune disease, things like macular degeneration, glaucoma. We don't know. We, we think that there may be connection. So it's, it's, it keep, stay tuned. There's going to be a lot of work in this area. And I suspect this is going to be one of the next frontiers of, of how we can improve ocular health. For sure. And I think we're going to be hearing a lot more from you too, since it seems like you're kind of at the forefront of all this. So that'll be very exciting for you. And it'll be exciting for us to see, um, these new, all this new information that we're learning about the eyes. So uh, people can find you at fishmanvision.com and also on Twitter at Dr. Fishman. Uh, I will have links to all this in the show notes at summitforwellness.com slash 55. Thank you, Dr. Fishman, so much for coming on and talking about uh, the ocular microbiome. It's really a subject that I don't know about, but pretty much no one knows about. So thank you for bringing this forward and teaching us all about it. Thank you very much, Brian. This is a great podcast you put together and I highly recommend it. There you have it, folks. We will be hearing a lot more from Dr. Fishman as more information comes out about the ocular microbiome. But I definitely think it's very fascinating that we are starting to learn so much more about the microbiome all around the body, not just the gut. So uh, keep up the good work, Dr. Fishman. And we are excited to have you back on later when you come out with uh, more information. Okay, next week, we are going to have a couple guests on to talk about uh, what is making our children sick. So we will be talking a lot about uh, the foods, the food system itself, um, what happens when you use products like glyphosate on the food system and um, how 
the generations that are coming up are sicker and sicker. So we will be talking a lot about that next week. And then right after that, we will be going back into the microbiome and talking a lot more about the gut microbiome and um, different probiotics that you can use to uh, start to repopulate the gut. So until then, keep climbing to the peak of your health and we will see you next time.